Hey, as you make your way back to your seats, would you grab your Bibles? We're going to spend a, a few moments in uh, Luke chapter 18 as we just continue in a spirit of prayer and find different expressions of uh, this voice of desperation. This morning we're talking about prayer. Prayer is the voice of desperation. It's what we do when we are desperate. In Luke 18, we find a story, a story with a point. And in the Bible, those stories with a point are called parables. They often have tension baked into the story or particular lessons that just sort of emerge out of the account that Jesus is telling. And he designed parables to be that way. In fact, I'm sure you're familiar with some of, the, uh, some of the parables in the Bible, even if you're not that familiar with all of them. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. Makes its way even into our common everyday language. We have Good Samaritan laws. Or maybe you know the story of the prodigal son. Even how we use the word prodigal is informed by this parable. Well, Jesus told lots of parables. In Luke 18, we see the parable of this judge and a widow. And unlike other parables where we might wonder, what is Jesus trying to say or what's the point? We have the benefit in this particular short parable of Luke telling us what the parable is about and Jesus even highlighting a couple things. You need to know that this parable is a call for the followers of Jesus to not give up in their praying. So as we jump into this text, can I just ask you from the very beginning to think through, is there anything that you're giving up on when it comes to prayer? Anything in regards to seeking the Lord that maybe you've grown weary and talking to him about it? Well, let's look at our text, Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them, Jesus told them a parable to the effect, here's the point of the parable, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, we'll come back to that at the end, but just remember that opening verse. So he, meaning Jesus, said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So Jesus starts his parable with a judge, and this judge is not a godly man. The text says it very explicitly. He neither feared God nor respected man. So he didn't love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and he didn't love his neighbor as himself. So he was the epitome of self-centeredness, and that's how Jesus sets it up. He doesn't say what city he's in, doesn't give the judge a name. He just says it's a judge who's self-centered. Now, why does he choose a judge? Well, because in the parable, Jesus is going to highlight authority and power. He's going to compare this judge to God, or rather God to this judge. And so he needs somebody with authority and power, sort of like God-like authority and power. And if you think about it, in our culture as well, back in the first century, a judge had an enormous amount of authority. Could enact a fine, could sentence somebody, could determine right from wrong. And I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, but you know, it's sort of a foreboding sense of that judge when he comes in or she comes in in the black robe and sits on the bench. I, I was uh, called for jury duty about a year and a half ago. And uh, once they found out I was a pastor, I got voted off the island. I don't know why, <laughs> why, why that happened. I don't know if I didn't look nice enough or maybe they shouldn't trust me. I don't know what. But... Um, the point is, is that when that judge came in, we all stood up, he gave us some instructions, and whew, man, him up on that bench, that black robe, like, like I was thinking, have I paid all my parking tickets and everything else? I mean, it was just sort of a foreboding sense, like this guy had authority. Well, that's the kind of image that, John, um, that Jesus wants baked into this story, because here we have this judge 
And then we have a widow. The text says, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. So this, this widow keeps coming to the judge, and the widow is an important contrast to this powerful judge because a widow in Jesus' day was at the low end of the power spectrum, where the judge has all the power. This widow is none. She's dependent upon other people, and she's in a tough spot. So this widow keeps coming to this judge and she says to him, give me justice against my adversary. So she keeps coming to him over and over and over, asking for justice, asking for justice, asking for justice. We, we don't know why she needs this justice. Maybe somebody killed her husband. Maybe in the settling of the estate, something was unfair. Or maybe after she became a widow, someone saw her, her lower condition in terms of her vulnerability and they took advantage of her. We don't know. What we do know, though, is this woman keeps coming to this judge. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. She comes day after day after day after day. The text says that for a while, he refused. He told her to go away. But afterward, he said to himself, so Jesus puts words into this judge's mind, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So that's the second time that we've heard this, which is really important. When the Bible emphasizes something, it usually repeats it, and when it's repeated in close proximity, then it's exceptionally important. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In other words, the judge says, this woman's gonna keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming, and I'm just weary of her coming, so I'm gonna give her what she wants, because her persistence was persuasive, even to a godless, self-centered, powerful judge. Now, that's, that's the story right there. You might wonder, whoa, wait a minute. How, what, what's, what's the message? Are you saying, Mark, that in the same way that a judge doesn't want to be bothered so he gives the woman what she wants, that God doesn't want to be bothered so he gives us what we want? Absolutely not. Instead, here's what is going on. Jesus says this, verse six, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. So he, he, he wants us to hear, hear what? Hear the fact that he calls himself not a respecter of God, not a, a person who's concerned about God's um, evaluation of his life, he's not a respecter of other people. Jesus wants you to see the difference between the character of the judge and the character of God. He's setting that up. And what he's saying, in effect, is this. If persistence is motivational for the judge to do what this woman wants, imagine how persistence is motivational to a God who is good and kind and just. Jesus is comparing them not because their character is equal, but he's comparing them because their character could not in any way be comparable to one another. Verse seven, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? He's saying this, God cares for his people. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So the idea is that God cares for his people. Nevertheless, he says, when the Son of Man comes, here's a question, he just kind of leaves it hanging. Will he find faith on earth? Why does he say that? 
Because in chapter 17, Jesus talks about the fact that the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of Jesus, is going to surprise the world. They're going to be giving people away in marriage, going to parties, buying and selling. They're just going to kind of move along as though everything else in life is the same, as though Jesus is never going to come back, and all of a sudden, boom, he's going to show up, and the world's going to go, what? We didn't expect you were coming. And the question is that Jesus is asking here is this, will my people be ready? Will my people be faithful? So how does the faithfulness of God's people and the persistence of the widow relate to prayer? Here's how. Jesus is calling his people to be persistent because they know what God is like. He's calling them to be persistent because they know God is sovereign and in control. They're calling on us to be persistent because we know that God is good. He's calling on us to be persistent because we believe the promises of God. So based on all these things that we know are true, we keep coming to God and coming to God and coming to God, not because we get what we want, but because we know that God has our best intentions in mind. And so we keep coming to him and coming to him and coming to him. And Jesus says that that sort of persistence is based on what God is like. But there's a second piece. Or Jesus is also saying that that kind of persistence reminds you who you really are and reminds you who God is, and in so doing, listen carefully, persistent faith, persistent prayer, rather, is a preserving agent when it comes to perseverance and faith. How so? As you pray, you're reminded of how to make it through difficulties. There's some of you, when you leave today, when you see some things that you're gonna see today, you'll be encouraged and helped to be faithful in the next week because of what you're gonna see and what you're gonna pray together. And by praying together, you're helped. That's why for some of you, being in a prayerless position is dangerous, not just because you have need, but because your greatest need is to be reminded that you're not God. Persistence in prayer is a regular re-anchoring of not only what we know to be true about God, but also what we know to be true about ourselves. And so as we're persistent and as we refuse to give up, as we continue to wait upon the Lord in prayer, not only do we bank our lives on the character of God, but we also remind ourselves, I need help. So if you've come to church this morning and you already know that you need help, you're already halfway there. The lesson of Luke 18 is for you just to continue to experience the, the full measure of what it means to be dependent and to seek God's help. But there's some who are in a position where the most dangerous thing for you is not coming out of the crisis moment, but it's what happens when you get over the hump that you're in right now. And you know, that's not true just for you, it's true for a church. You know, tonight we'll meet at five o'clock to pray. You know, here's the crazy thing. When I first came here to College Park 2008, church was still really desperate. We'd have six, 700 people who would come for prayer on a Sunday evening. And what's crazy is the church has gotten larger and gotten better and gotten more successful. Our prayer meeting attendance has actually gone down. Do you know what that could mean? It could mean that as we've gotten good, we've actually gotten less dependent. And that isn't good. What can happen with churches can also happen with individuals. You sought God in the midst of your illness, you healed him, or God healed you, and then you didn't pray anymore. Sought God when you needed a job, desperate, 
Got your job, suddenly now your prayer times are non-existent. What Jesus says is there's supposed to be a level of persistence in our prayer life that reminds us not only that we need God's help, but that without the persistence, we begin to drift back into self-sufficiency. Part of the reason why we wanted to practice prayer this morning, part of the reason why we wanted to do it was in order for us to be reminded that we, not, we don't only need to pray because we have deeds, but we need to pray because our greatest need is that we need God's help. And that's the calling, to be persistent in our praying. Because that need between us and God that never goes away. We always need his help.